Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, First Alliance Church. I just want to thank you for being with us today in our online worship experience. I'm sure we've all had our moments of feeling like we're living in the scenes of an apocalyptic movie. It's the end of the world as we know it. Streets are deserted. People are covered head to toe with protective gear. A general sense of fear and apprehension hangs in the air. You go outside and you see people wearing their face masks and personal protective equipment and uncertainty hangs in the air like a fog. I caught my wife typing this phrase into her Google search bar the other day. When will it end? Desperation may be setting in for you and you and many others might be looking for answers. You see, in a time of crisis, there are always people offering an explanation and making claims about the meaning of what we're living through. The environmentalists say nature is sending us a message or indeed trying to get even with us as we have mismanaged the environment. Medical science says this is a test of our medical defenses. The usual religious suspects tell us that this is judgment on sin or a warning, a sign from God or a sign that the world is indeed coming to an end. Explanations can come from all over the map, from science, religion, philosophy, and popular opinion. You know, we always habitually turn to the news or to the academy and more and more today to YouTube in search of answers. And this morning, I want us to turn to the Bible uh, to see a text and consider a text where Jesus addresses that urge to figure out the meaning of current events. And then Jesus presents us with some key truths that we can know. What can we know in such a time as this uh, that we can act on and live out. We might not be able to know the meaning of everything or answer all the why questions that we have, but what can we know? So I want to invite you to open a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 13 as we continue in our Luke Acts sermon series. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to read that now, and then we're going to dive into what this text is telling us. Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, 
leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us and open our hearts and minds to receive these words that you inspired Luke to write so many ages ago and communicate them to us now, communicate their relevancy. And Lord Jesus, would you yourself be present in our midst um, to announce good news to us today. I pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. The first thing I want you to notice in this story is that people come to Jesus ready to talk about current events. The conversation happens in verse 1, that there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, here's what was going on there. Pilate, the Roman governor at that time, was known for being particularly cruel and um, horrible, really. And what he had done recently, according to Luke, was that he had sent soldiers to uh, cut down some Galileans as they were worshiping in the Jewish temple. So the Galileans were offering their sacrifices and they themselves were cut down and so that their blood was mixed with the sacrifices that they were offering. This was an atrocious thing to do, like barging into a church on Easter morning and opening fire. Now, They're not just telling Jesus about this event. They want his commentary. They want his hot take. Jesus, what does it all mean? Verse 2, Jesus answers, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Or he brings up the incident with the Tower of Siloam. Or when when the Tower of Siloam fell, do you think... Those who died were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem. You see, people were explaining these disasters and these events, saying that it was God's judgment on particularly nasty, evil, and sinful people. And so they got what was coming to them. That's the lesson they were taking away from these events. And Jesus tells them emphatically, no. That's not the lesson of these events. The lesson isn't to say that these were, they were judged by God for being particularly nasty. The lesson, Jesus says, is that everyone's life will come to an end and everyone will face judgment. Unless you repent, You too will all perish, he says, and he repeats it twice. You see, our human tendency is to compare ourselves to others, to see their flaws and think, I'm not doing that bad. I'm a decent person. I'm not a murderer. I don't abuse my wife or my kids. I steer clear of drugs and violence, and I pay my taxes. I am a good person after all. But this kind of comparison and self-justification is fatal because in trying to convince ourselves that we're okay we're not able to see that in actual fact we are not okay we're not able to see our need for god we're not able to see that only he is good and holy and that apart from him and his redemptive work in my life i am done for because i'm so caught up convincing myself i'm okay you see the christian claim isn't that we're bad and we need to become nice. 
It's that we're dead and we need to be made alive. Salvation doesn't mean trying to be the best version of yourself. It means becoming an entirely new self through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That just as Jesus died, so by repentance and faith in him, I die too. And I'm raised up in him in newness of life. And I become a new creation. See, the lesson Jesus needs them to see is that humanity is all on the same train. And if you're sitting on a train headed for destruction, headed for a collision course, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in first class, if you're sitting in economy class, or if you're stuffed somewhere in the luggage compartment, everyone on that train has the same destination. And that's our situation as the human race. Our situation is that we're on a collision course with God's day of judgment. And in light of this, Jesus wants us to know three things and not just know them, but act on them and live in light of them. So what can we know in a time like this and in every time? Uh, Three words I want you to remember from this morning. The first word is repentance. Second word, fruit. Third word is patience. Repentance, fruit, patience, repentance. What does Jesus want us to know? He wants us to know that we are all on the same train. Everyone needs to turn back to God. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do if you're on that train heading in that direction? You need to get off the train. You need to get off the train. That's the main thrust of this text Unless you repent, you too will all perish. And when Jesus says something like this twice, word for word, we need to listen up. That word repent there, that's how we get off the train. It means that we turn back to God. It means an entire change of life direction. It means saying, God, I'm wrong. You're right. I'm going to trust you. That's what we all need to do. And even if you're a Christian this morning, we need to do that. Why do I say that? Because repentance is in the present tense here. The word repent, the verb repent is in the present tense, which means an ongoing continuous action in the original Greek. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. Repentance, yes, begins the Christian life, but it also sees it through. That every day subsequent, we are turning away from our, our default selfishness and sin, and we're turning toward Christ welcoming his life and his character to be formed in us by his spirit, right? Repentance is not just about initiation. It's about ongoing formation as a Christian. And as we welcome the world to repent and enter into the grace of God, we do that not from a holier-than-thou posture, but we do it by ourselves repenting. We're in inviting the blind into sight because we used to be blind and now we can see we're inviting the lost to be found because we used to be lost and now we have been found let's hear the urgency of jesus here for ourselves to to repent and turn back to god and to invite others to do so as well let's stop putting off repentance and faith and let's heed Jesus's word to us this morning. And let me just say, in life, 
in the scriptures and in history, renewal follows repentance. Let me say that again. Renewal follows repentance. It's the pattern in the scriptures that when God's people turn back to God, they say, God, we're wrong. You're right. We've been going astray. What happens is a time of renewal comes. It's the same in history. Repentance always precedes renewal. I mean, it happened in such a small way in my life this past week. I had been having a, a hard day, and I was, you know, under the, a cloud. <laughs> it felt like a gray cloud was hovering over my head, and I was caught up in, in, in negativity and just sourness. And um, my wife had told me, you know, I'm going to make myself some tea. And she started teaching our kids a lesson, and she forgot about her tea. And I know this is such a small thing, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but all I did was I was in the kitchen, and I stopped, and I saw her her mug sitting on the counter with a tea bag in it with the kettle boiled, realized that she had forgotten to get herself tea, and I thought, I am going to do this act of kindness. I am going to consider the needs of my wife, and I'm going to get her tea, and I did that. And let me tell you, it was the turning point of my day. It was the turning point of my day. I had a mini renewal where just in repenting of my attitude and my sourness and putting my wife's need first and and loving her, I was turned around. (laughs) And I was reminded of God's great love for us and that, yes, Jesus calls us to love others. And that's what we're going to consider next with the word fruit. The second thing we can know in this time is that we were made to bear fruit. The parable of the fig tree that doesn't bear fruit tells us that God created us to bear fruit. The fig tree is actually an image here for the nation of Israel, that he made Israel to be a blessing to the world, which we find out in Genesis chapter 12. And now we as the church have that mandate as the new Israel. He made us to yield an abundance and a surplus uh, for the nourishment and vitality Uh, that will add goodness and life to the world, and that we would reflect our creative and loving and generous God. That we would be a blessing to our city, to our neighborhood, to our world. And so in the parable, the tree is drawing nutrients and water from the soil, but it's not growing any fruit. It's not realizing the purpose for which it was planted. And I wonder how many of us right now feel like we're not realizing our purpose in life. If you're anything like me at times like this, it can be easy to lose sight of your purpose. I mean, before this pandemic hit in our cultural moment, we have had a hard enough time knowing our purpose and being vitally alive in that purpose. And now the coronavirus hits, we're all isolated, we have to keep distance, and we can feel this meaninglessness even more so. I mean, meaninglessness is a real issue many of us are grappling with right now. And this text reminds us that our lives are not meaningless. We were made for a purpose, an eternal purpose. We have a part to play in God's redemption and renewal of the world. We were made for glory and intimacy and love and service. And I want to invite you to hear that word this morning, that there is a purpose for your life. God has an incredible purpose for your life. And sometimes what we need to do is just repent of the ways that we've drifted into despair 
turn away from despair and realize that my purpose in life might not be all about me and meeting my needs and my happiness, but might actually be about serving others uh, and learning to love as well as be loved. I want to invite you to rediscover or discover for the first time the real hope that we can have in Jesus, that in our longing for meaning and purpose can be satisfied in him, that he has created us to live abundant and fruitful lives. Third thing we can know this morning, patience. God is patient. Verses one to five of our passage tell us that we need to repent and verses six to nine tell us that God is so patient in delaying judgment. That's the main thrust of the parable. Yes, we find out that we were made to bear fruit, but the dominant thought of the parable is this. God is patient. He's delaying judgment in order to extend the opportunity for people to turn back to him. I mean, in the parable, the man was waited three years for this tree. And then he's willing to wait yet another year while his gardener digs around the tree and fertilizes it and cares for it. And here we see like God isn't just patient with us. He he is working to get us going, bearing fruit. He's working to get us bearing fruit. And I want to ask you this morning, how is God doing that in your life? How is he working in you to make you fruitful? And how do you need to cooperate with his working in you? God is patient. He's patient with us and he's patient with the world. I mean, sometimes as Christians, we can start wondering, you know, why does God delay the day of the kingdom when it will come in its fullness? Why does God delay the day of deliverance? Early Christians were asking that too. And Peter, the apostle, addresses the church that was asking this this question in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, the reason that suffering still exists and human evil and natural disasters still happen is because God is delaying the day of judgment. The day when all that will go away, when he deals with the forces of evil and chaos forever. He is delaying the day of judgment. Get this. He is delaying the day of judgment in order to extend the time of grace. People often think God is cruel when they see the suffering around them and the horrible things that happen in our world. He's not cruel. He's merciful. He's loving. He's so patient. We see all these things and these are the result of us living in a world that is turned away from God and has been broken in every way by sin and death. But the fact of the matter is God is delaying the day of judgment in order to extend the time of grace. That's the lesson we need to hear this morning. The fact that we're alive and breathing means we've been given grace to turn back to God and to live life to the fullest and to invite others to do so as well. 
because at the same time that God has extended the time of grace, that time of grace will not last forever. And so we also need the urgency that Jesus brings, that we repent and that we invite others into repentance. So what can we know in this time? You've got questions. I've got questions. How long will this last? What does it all mean? Well, here's what we can know. God wants us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God is patient and gracious towards us. And he wants us to share the good news of his grace with those who have not yet entered into it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us and your word to us this morning. And I ask, Jesus, that you would give us your Holy Spirit to show us where we need to turn back to you in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to communicate the love of the Father and the Son to us and bring us more deeply into his purpose for our lives. And I pray that we would acknowledge your patience while sensing the urgency of the moment to share good news with those around us, that more and more would turn to you and discover true life and become new creations. Jesus, empower us this week to live in you and to live for you. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.